Welcome to Mariner Monday. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and today I'll be joined by fellow Seattle Mariners commiserator extraordinaire Phil Smeraldo. Phil and I took a couple of hours to digest the entire 2019-20 Mariners season, which was both abysmal and promising at the same time somehow. We broke down our wrap-up podcast into two parts to be easier on your ears. In this part, we discussed the trends we're noticing in this year's playoffs and look back on the highs and lows of the on-field products this year in Seattle. Tune in next week for part two of our wrap-up, where we talk more about the state of the Mariners' farm system. Uh, so happier pod there. But note that we recorded this before the championship series were over, uh, before Joe Madden had been hired by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the pod so Phil can keep the lights on at Carmine's in Bellevue. Enjoy. What do you think? So uh, it, what do you think Jack Flaherty just yelled into his mitt there? I don't know. I have the game on mute, so I can't really see what they're doing. <laughs> well, that was a good play, though, by that second baseman. Well, it's not like we could we could have heard what he said, anyways. But did you see that that clip of uh, of Scherzer? Just uh, like you could clearly see what he was saying. He was like, "You're fucking mine, motherfucker," or something like that. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. <laughs> dude, he's insane. I don't understand how the freaking Cardinals are good. Like none of the, no one in their lineup besides Paul Goldschmidt, I'd be like, whoa, that's like someone you got to watch out for. Yeah. Well, those, those Navy hats are just fantastic. And that's, that's where the source of their power is. They don't even, this guy's good. Jack Flaherty. He's, he's money. Yeah. He comes from the Max Scherzer school of insanity too. Oh, is he? I've not, is he pretty intense? I don't really know him too well. I think just just from what I literally just saw of him screaming into his mitt before uh, the sec- top of the second, yeah, I think he's he's pretty wild. Or the bottom. You of know, the first I, I'll get into this with you in, in the actual podcast. But you know how you said like, what's the big difference? Like, have you noticed how every starting pitcher that's left in the playoffs like throws ninety seven? It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, funny enough, Phil, we're actually recording right now, so. Uh, oh, we are. I was hoping to catch you, catch you like saying something hilarious, but it was pretty, pretty, pretty milk toast from us. But that's all right. Oh well, that I mean, is that did I, was that did I one on the pocket? Uh, yeah, we 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 can hop right in. Um, we can talk some yoffs here, and and you know, it's first of all, it's good good to hear from you, and uh, Always I think nice to hear from you. we can uh, we can disclose we had a, we just saw each other a couple weeks ago. We can disclose. Uh, some of the details from when we saw each other, but not. Def- I'm an open book. You can disclose <laughs> as much or as little as you want. Uh, let's just say that you, me, uh, our good friends Alex Rakay and Michael Roberts had um, just an epic, epic table at uh, at Sam's in Capitol Hill. We um, I haven't laughed that hard in a really long time. And it was really good role. I guess you could call it role play. Would that be what you would call that role play? <laughs> uh, yeah, in a lot of ways it was. Yeah, in, in multiple ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is funny because I have in my notes here how much I hate inside jokes among company. Like, what, <laughs> like when you're talking, when you're with people and they like two two people have an inside joke that they think is hilarious. But uh, in this case, this I this one was an all timer. You I, can make an exception for this one. Yeah, ask either of us offline about uh, about our time together, and we'd be happy about to explain. Peter, yes, <laughs> oh boy. Um, the the part I will share uh, proudly is that uh, when I saw you the day before that, I met you uh, with my parents at Carmine's in Bellevue, your your uh, phenomenal restaurant, um, and I will just tell anybody in the world how good my fra diablo was. I asked, 
the waiter, whose name I forget. It's been a while. Victor. Uh, Victor, yes. He was yeah. f- phenomenal. And I said, uh, I know a Fra Diablo is not in the menu, but can you make it? And he, he almost spat in my face for the disrespect I, sh- <laughs> I showed him. Uh, he's he was, like, you know, he's been he's been at the restaurant, well, in, in our company, on and off since 1993, so he's seen everything. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he knows. Um, yeah. he, he was like, if these idiots back there won't make it, I'll, I'll make one for you. <laughs> um, but truly, that was an awesome experience. The desserts were incredible. My family had a great time. The food you know is so cool? good. I just got to bring my uh, girlfriend there for the first time. She lives in L.A., but she was up for the weekend. I just got to bring her there for the first time uh, on Saturday, and she enjoyed it too. Fantastic. Um, yeah, did you <laughs> bring Abby there? I will. Yes. Yeah, that'll that'll happen next time she's in Seattle for sure. Um, did uh, did your maitre D, who you hate, um, did did you let her her meet him? No, he wasn't there, and I actually sent him a text because I told her, like, I had been talking about you so much, like, that she was so disappointed that she never got to meet you. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow, probably the nicest thing you ever said to him. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyways, that's, uh, I'm going to guess that the eight people listening did not tune in to, uh, to listen to us just laugh at each other, but um, did want to get the advertisement in there for, for uh, Carmine's because um, truly, I now know what I'm talking about. Mostly, I was just talking out of my ass about how good the place is, but now that I've experienced it, um, I, I can speak to it, and I always forget to do the ad whenever we talk to each other, but I uh, really appreciate it. Also, when, when we hit a million uh, listeners, the first eight we'll all get dinner free once we get to mil- 1 million. Yes. Yes. Use the promo code Peter at, uh, <laughs> at checkout. You'll be fine. All right. Um, playoff baseball. The Mariners are not a part of it. Unsurprisingly has been the case for the last 18 years of our lives. Can you, can you saying that just is so insane. You know, what's funny. The guy who's stepping up to the plate right now, Juan Soto might not have been alive the last time the Mariners made the playoffs. I'm not sure, but he's like 18 or 19 years old. Juan Soto so is close. Juan Soto is close. Uh, oh, he was born in uh, 1998. But, um, okay, so so he was there. He was yeah, there. actually, not, we're only five years older than him, so that makes me yeah. feel better. I was, I was really scared that it'd be like, Juan Soto is 17, um, <laughs> but uh, we're not quite there yet. Well, some of the guys in the Mariners system now are young enough where uh, they haven't been alive for a Mariners playoff. Game. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about a few of those guys uh, yeah. in just a little bit here, but... Uh, the first question here being when we do watch playoff baseball because the Mariners aren't a part of it, uh, what is the biggest glaring difference between uh, the the uh, just C-minus product we watch and uh, what we are seeing on TV? And are you okay right now? I, I mean, I'm okay because I get to watch really good baseball. Oh, I'm saying are you um, okay because the sirens, but oh, God. Looks, looks like they're, looks like they're fleeting. My place. You, you hear that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you've you've been here. You know what the deal is in Pioneer Square. Well, Seattle, hard, Seattle's, Seattle's dying, right? Town. But no, I'm less okay watching these really good teams because, like, you it's never really as apparent as it is when you watch a really good team, like, or really good teams over and over again. Like when we're watching the Mariners play, like, let's say I don't know who's like a run of the mill team, kind of average, like the Padres or like a 500 team. You kind of look at them and you're like, man, it's not that we're not that far away, like maybe a piece or two. But then when you watch the Astros play the Yankees, you almost are just like, wow, this is a different sport. Like you, <laughs> you just feel so demoralized by the well, whole thing. The Mariners went one and 18 against like regular season Astros where like every pitch is not consequential. But I like if, if the Astros were like, OK, you, this is like you're going you're gonna to manage this game as if it's a playoff game and there's no like health externalities to any decisions you would make. 
<laughs> I don't know. Oh, if and Mar- 19. Oh, I and 19. I don't know no, if the Mariners would reach it. second base the whole game. Like, you know, that's what people say about baseball all the time is like, oh, I love baseball because, you know, over a long season, you know, averages tend to hold, but over a single game, you know, anything can happen. Anything could happen except for the Mariners beating the Astros if the Astros really wanted to beat the Mariners. Oh, I, my I God. just don't think it's possible. Yeah, I think I think the biggest glaring difference other than talent, which we talked about at the front of the episode here, but it's just the the intensity of how the the the, the palpable energy in every single stadium, um, like every fan right now that I'm looking at is standing up in the, it's the first inning uh, for the Nationals right now. You know, don't you think Seattle could be like that? Oh, though? absolutely. I really feel like we we have that potential to pop like that. Seattle absolutely, is a baseball place. I believe that. And I think that the playoff run needs to happen because it would merge the like. Uh, like Fangraphs Seattle fans and the the Penn Seattle fans because they'd right. all be united in the same thing rather than like that's what's beautiful about a winning team because when your team loses all the infighting and bickering and all that and oh well this guy's you know but once you're good it's just like everyone's enjoying the ride yeah when the Seahawks suck you like want to make fun of the people from Kent who like don't know who Sean Alexander is but right what when they're when they're amazing and they just won the NFC Championship. Or, or going to the NFC Championship, you're hugging every single person in Pioneer Square. Yeah, you don't even care. Re- regardless if they have, like, mold growing on their beard or not. <laughs> um, uh, but just the, the intensity and then also the decision-making and scrutiny of, like, every single aspect of, of, of... So I wanted to mention the scrutiny of the aspects. Yes. Did you notice... Um, did you hear about the Tyler Glass now pitch-tipping debacle yes. thing? Yep. Okay. So basically, this is how when you're talking about the difference in like analytical like investment into a team and like just the ability to like see these minute little details and like basically turn that into this massive consequential advantage. The Astros uh, video, the the reason that they figured out that he was pitching tipping pitches was because uh, they took like. Uh, his whole season's worth of fastballs that he was throwing and they overlaid the video of every fastball he would throw and then they overlaid every video of every curveball he would throw and they realized that the average starting position of his glove uh, on the fastball was just a tick higher than on the curveball and they did that over they analyzed over a course of a season and then it obviously came to roost when he was pitching against them and in game five and that was what tipped the scales in the Astros favor. So anybody who says, Oh, analytics is overblown or overrated. They should look at that because analytics isn't just crunching numbers. It's also looking into video. It's just getting, trying to exact extract the most amount of advantage you can from any source that you can. So that's a really good example of something analytics can do for a team. Yeah. And, and to the, to the point about the scrutiny too, I mean, the, um, just take take for example last night with uh, Asuna coming in uh, with a five out situation uh, to 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 basically hold serve and get the Astros to extras uh, get the get the Astros out of a jam that worked out really well. He pitched incredibly, got those five outs to get them to extras, which is fantastic. But if that goes poorly, it's all of a sudden a horrible move. Even though you know, just just for it's it's all results based, or at least it it feels results based in the right. in the criticism space. Um, well, but, that's like with the Dodgers putting in Clayton Kershaw. Like now, everyone thinks it's a stu- it was a horrible move to put him in, and you know he gave up the two home runs. But you know if it had worked out, no one's thinking twice about it. Right, and and that led me to <laughs> to Google Scott Service bullpen use, and the first thing I see is Scott Service's questionable bullpen management is costing the Mariners, and that's in August 2018 from Soto Mojo. 
Um, so just just uh, there's been one article ever written about Scott Service from like a tactical perspective, but uh, after like a single playoff game, imagine if they got to a wild card game and lost. Uh, all of a sudden, that oh, would, that would be blown Blood up. in the streets. Yes, exactly. Well, there is kind of a narrative that Service is not a great tactician, and he's more of a good uh, – his skills lie more in communication and growing young. Because he was, for a long time before he was the Mariners manager, he was the director of player development for the Angels, I believe. Mm. Uh, and that's how him and DePoto knew each other. So I think most people believe he's more of a um, an expert, you know, communicator and evaluator and all of those things and less of a tactician so right. to speak yeah and he hasn't really been tested in that considering the- exactly and what is what's what's he going to do when the team's down 20 to 1 to the astros what <laughs> move could he make to, to make that better yeah and they had already wilted by the time any games were of true consequence at at, at last point or last year even with the the success mm-hmm. they had um anything else about these these playoffs uh that are that are eye-catching to you or stand out yeah one thing that i wanted to note was that maybe this is a coincidence but maybe it's not if you look at all the catchers that are left in the playoffs, there's only one who you would consider to be a good hitting catcher, and the rest of them are kind of defensive guys. Yadier Molina for the Cardinals, he's not a very good hitter, but he's you know probably the most elite defender in the game. Kurt Suzuki with the Nationals is the same thing. Robinson Chirinos is pretty much the same thing with the Astros. The only one that you could say is actually a good hitting catcher is Gary Sanchez, um, which kind of me- leads me to believe that the teams who are uh, – you know, making deep runs in the playoffs, they don't value hitting from a catcher as much as they value their defense, which probably says something about about how teams should probably be evaluating catchers and, and their impact on the game. Yeah, I think it's we've we've talked about this before, but it's just the idea that uh, a catcher who you know takes a total of I don't know 130 pitches every single game can affect and score and create more wins and create more runs or save more runs. Uh, than they can in three or four at bats every exactly. single game, and and the difference uh, in in that gulf of offensive runs or wins created uh, between a league average guy and the the very tip of the top uh, just doesn't equate to the same thing. So yeah, you're you're totally right there, um, and just, just like I mean the 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 level of of um, the strengths of these bullpens and of the of the pitching staffs. Um, I think that a lot has been made about the the offensive insurgents in baseball, the juice ball. Uh, but have you heard the rumor that they went away from the juice ball in the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, that the, they're just like pulling levers back and forth. God, of, that would be so ridiculous. The only thing that would be more ridiculous, well, I mean, it is pretty much. I like. I am totally. I accept the fact that baseball has been tampering with, or the MLB has been tampering with the baseball. There's just no way they didn't. But to do it in the middle of the postseason. I just don't think they're that stupid. <laughs> yeah, and just just the the idea that I mean these these parks are the the like great equalizers in that and that you know hold the ball constant and the parks will take care of the uh, mm-hmm. the the defensive part of it uh, on its own. But I think um, one thing that that stood out to me was just this this Mariners season in contrast to what we're seeing right now. Them started thirteen and two to start the year, and that was clearly a just an an, an absolute anomaly. Uh, but that's 15 games, and a playoff run is less than that, or or close right. close yeah. to that. You need at the very most, you need what? You need 11. No, let's see. So you need to win one at the very most. You need to win one wild card game, three out of five, so that's four, and then four out of seven, that's 
uh, eight, and that so at the very most you need to win twelve games. That's right. that the very most. So and so the Mariners started thirteen and two, right? So yeah, like I like you said, in the playoffs it is small sample, right? Right, right. You're you're playing out this theater of you have all the right components and you just hope things break right, but. Um, but that same kind of isolated, weird Petri dish thing that was happening in the first 15 games of the Mariners season uh, in a playoff setting, that's a World Series. So That's not, yeah, that equates to a World Series. <laughs> right. To get that hot. Yeah. Exactly. So so reason to think that, you know, the, this just get in is is kind of the, the, the mentality I think Mariners fans would have, but um, just thinking of these playoffs as not this, like, Yeah, but the one Odyssey. thing I would say about the get, just get in, uh, tactic is I would ask Oakland A's fans how happy they've been mm-hmm. with over the last five years, you know, making the playoffs four times and playing a total of like seven playoff games, you know? Yeah. So it must be frustrating for them too. They were a 95 win team this year, 97 win team, and they get one game and then they're gone. So I think, I think still the best bet is winning your division where you at least get a chance at an extended play. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the, if if the Mariners had gotten into the playoffs, or if if and when they do, and it's a one game playoff situation, and they they lose, I don't I don't think I would eat for a month. I it, it just God, I love the idea of the one game playoff, but except if it would happen to my team, then I'm, <laughs> I'm not so much so so much of a fan of. It. However, it can it can be the catalyst for for great things, um, as right. we're seeing right now with the with the Nationals. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, so let's let's hop out of the the national playoff scene. It, talk about uh, our beloved uh, team that we are betrothed to, the Seattle Mariners. And we're going to do this in, in a yearbook style. Um, the year's I over. I idea, by the way. Thank you. Uh, the year's over. We're trying to put a cap on it, figure out, um, you know, what went right, what what, uh, what were the big highlights? Because, you know, if you think about how the year ended, you're thinking just Kyle Lewis, but you're not thinking about uh, the Tim Beckham the show at the thing, beginning. Yeah. So, so start to finish, how'd this go? Um, we'll start at the... True rock bottom. What, in your opinion, was rock bottom for the Mariners this year? Because there are several candidates. So, honestly, this one kind of – I was thinking about this one a lot because this year was interesting. Like, there wasn't really, like, a a definitive one. Like, last year, the definitive rock bottom – was like when we were like we got swept by mid-july the A's, I believe yeah it was yeah and like we had just like basically got swept by the a's to like go five games out of the playoffs and the a's were just getting hot as hell and we were just you know and all of our playoff hopes slipped away this year was it was probably to me the tim beckham getting popped for uh, <laughs> the peds thing because it was just like okay he was already struggling he was already bad the mariners were in just like mired in this horrible losing streak and then just to add insult to injury like a middling, just mediocre guy gets popped and like brings shame to your organization when you could have just cut him like three weeks ago and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, yeah, you were you were like you were you were just like standing there in the police in the uh, the police station and they were like interrogating you and you felt like it was going okay and then uh, you find you get you like hear that your getaway car just like went straight straight into the front window of the police station (laughs) like oh god yeah i mean they couldn't even trade Beckham at that point that 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 was that was bad i i did not have that in my list and it is a true list here uh the two no hitters i have one more on my list i'll let you go first okay so getting no hit twice one of which kind of felt like a like a moment from above and the the title that one i wasn't so upset with the angels one although i did want to mention did you hear about what's going on with Oh God, that's yeah. going to be an interesting story to follow this off season. Yeah, that's that's no bueno. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that that one was kind of like 
whatever. Um, you, you'll take that. It's a it's a feel good moment. It adds to uh, to to the the story of the 2019 baseball season. But the but getting no hit twice. Um, I'm almost kind of upset that a third one didn't happen, just to kind of. Well, Zach Granke got really close. Yeah, to yeah, us. towards the end of he the got year, got close to getting no hit like a couple of times at the end. There. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it just would have added this kind of assuming that this all breaks right and the Mariners are a 95 win team in in a couple of years, uh, having that that asterisk of like, oh, this is the same team that got no hit 17 times <laughs> in, in 2018. <laughs> it almost would have been cool though. Yeah, like, exactly. Look how far they've come. Right, right. So two is kind of like, lame. The Astros were historically bad for a year or two before they got good. Yeah, they were like in the fifties for for yeah, one. So yeah. so, um, and then my other one here is uh, one and eighteen against the Astros this year. Uh, we've we've talked about the gulf between these two franchises, but that number is 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 really potent. Uh, I'm really glad. Speaking of the Astros, though, I'm really glad. And actually, my other thing is about the Astros too. But I'll let you go first. I'm really glad that Garrett Cole is doing so well because every time I see him, you know, go another like seven innings and give up like less than two runs, the price tag just keeps going up and up and up. And you know, the Astros can't afford him at this point. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's he's going to be out of there, which is nice. That is that is a nice nice perk. Um, but. Uh, F them for having the assets yeah, oh, to just to just add him and Granky um, and still have one of the best farm systems in baseball. Uh, another one, eight losses of ten or more runs. That's uh, that's a lot. Um, some of which were were extra bad, uh, but just just the uh, frequency that the Mariners were just getting walloped in games. Well, was, I, I think we've was... had this conversation before, but I got to ask you a question: Would you rather? have the Mariners lose 20 to nothing and go down like especially for you on the east coast like if they give up like seven runs in the first two innings like you can just turn the game off and go to bed that's easy like that's a nice loss like I feel like it'd be worse if the Mariners lost 20 games by one run you know what I mean oh it was it was much more painful uh last season seeing them collapse in in July and in early August than it was this year this this year you could basically just put them on box score mode by like I don't know May yeah. and that was or put them on like my favorite thing to do was just put them on mute and I would just like read a book and every once in a while I could just glance up at the TV you know it was, yeah. it was nice right. it was almost like calming to know how bad they were exactly um, another one on my list here is the uh, the Mitch Haniger uh, rupture rupturing testicle. Um, That's got to be the rock bottom. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's just a it's a symbolic moment that the season was officially over the minute uh, Mitch test Mitch testicles as Mitch I testicles. <laughs> yeah M- Mitchy Mitchy gonads uh, when his <laughs> uh, his te- testicle ruptured and everyone knew about it. It was my favorite part. It wasn't like we're going to talk about Hanniger a little later though, right? For sure, for sure. Okay, because I remember last year we were talking about how we probably should trade him, and now that looks like a it would have been a great idea about a year ago. But we can get to that later. We'll uh, we'll come back to that. Any other rock bottom moments uh, before we get into the happy this, stuff? I, reading this stat. Okay, so. That Mariners had one player. I'm gonna give you a little quiz here. The Mariners had one player that accumulated more than three WAR this season. Do you know who it was? Was it Marco? Yes, yes, <laughs> you're right. It was Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, that was How that many? was just by uh, by just sheer volume too, with the amount of starts he got. Now, how many players did the Astros have that accumulated <laughs> more than five? Uh, eight, nine. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
That's horrible. It's just like Jesus. That is really bad. Damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, as, that reading that stat was like, oh my god. As if we needed another another yeah. s- uh, metric to show how much better they are than we are at this point. Uh, all right, top three moments from this season. What do you got? Okay, number one. Obviously, it's the most fresh in our mind, but I really, really enjoyed seeing Kyle Lewis and Donnie Walton and Art Warren and Justin Dunn at the end of the year. I think that was probably one of yours, too. Yeah, Kyle Lewis, uh, six six stingers in his first 10 games to start his Mariner career. Um, now, he had a little bit of a concerning profile, though. As much as fun as the home runs were, and I don't want to like read too much into his, like, uh, you know, what, he had 50 at-bats or so. But he struck out a lot, and he swung and missed a lot. And I don't know if that's just, like, adjusting to the majors type of thing, but that's not, like, sustainable if that's who he is. I also think he's not going to hit so many home runs like that where he's going to be okay. I also don't know this, uh, to, to be fact, at all, but that's kind of the theme of this podcast is us just talking out of our asses. <laughs> but I do – I could imagine a scenario where Kyle Lewis is brought up there with the directive to swing as much as possible and to totally. to, to yeah. get to get – you know, just acclimated in that way um, in, in the limited time he had. Um, but, I could completely buy that too. Like don't take called third strikes, just go swing the bat. Like exactly. that's what they're telling him. Right. And, and from a, from a, uh, a let's try and sell 8,000 more tickets at the end of this season. Um, mm-hmm. Creating. I know, a, honestly, I know I bought a ticket at the end of the year just because I knew I wanted to see Kyle Lewis. Right. I was one of the guys. Right. Know? Having a guy that kind of looks like Aaron Judge who hits dingers and, you know, might, might provide some optimism uh, is a reason to go to the ballpark when they definitely didn't have much of those by really all season, but especially by September, October. Yeah, yeah. But it was still, I mean, it was it was a really good debut nonetheless. He hit the ball really hard, obviously. Um, and when he, yeah, when he did hit it, he hit it hard and he hit it long. So, I mean, that was, it, you couldn't have really asked for much more. Kind of like, him. uh, kind of like our buddy Peter, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> number, exactly like our buddy number, Peter. number two on your list of top three moments. Um, number two was Daniel Vogelbach going to the all-star game. And I know he had a really disappointing second half of the year and we're still trying to figure out who he is as a player. But that first half of the season, I think people forget how good he was. He did not swing and miss. He walked a ton, and he had a ton of power. He was super prolific, and we were all looking at him like, man, this guy's the DH of the future. And I still think that he can be that guy. I think in the second half, he started taking too many pitches, and I don't know, pitchers probably adjusted to him. And I think they were throwing him up a little more up and in because that's weirdly where his cold zone is, even for lefties, which it should not be there, but it was. Um, but I just thought he had a really good start to the season and, and, and if he can even split the difference between his first half and his second half, then we have a really productive DH going forward, which is something I didn't think we were going to have in him. Yeah. Uh, DePoto's, uh, desire to turn him into a just, uh, walks, strikeouts and home runs monster, uh, really came to fruition, at least at the beginning of the season, for sure. Launch angle goes up from last year, 10.1 to 17.2 this year. Um, so we got a, a good taste of what of his ability to fulfill that role. Um, like you said, I still think he's been kind of pigeon-held, uh, play, even playing first base um, yeah. isn't really the long-term plan with him. But uh, you, know, you know what I bet uh, is, is that Daniel Vogelbach, I'm going to guess this, he led the league and called third strikes. I've got to believe that that's true. 
is that a product of his general ethos of take as many pitches as possible? Yeah, I mean, he just takes so many pitches. And a lot of times, I mean, I can't count how many times he would take a fastball down the middle for a called third strike. And people would be like, what are you doing? But that was his thing. He would work deep, deep, deep into counts. I bet he was also in the top 5 to 10% of guys who would see pitches per at-bat, which is also a valuable thing. Yeah, he's definitely in top uh, 2%, it looks like, from, from Baseball Savant. Fantastic site. Everyone should be on there all the time. Uh, 2% of uh, hitters in the AL in walk rate at 16.5%. Yeah. So um, it, it is it is what it is with him. And I, I just like that there is a, uh, like I said, an ethos to his game in the way he plays. And it just so happens to be right in line with, uh, with what the Mariners want. Yeah, I mean, that's been a uh, 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 Jerry DePoto thing for a long time is control the zone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, control and- the, the narrative and the zone is, is Jerry DePoto. <laughs> Did you listen to his latest uh, his latest um, wheelhouse? We will we will talk about the wheelhouse okay. uh, towards the end here. Um, top, what's your third favorite moment from this season? Other than a, a Jerry Depoto uh, correct trivia answer, because those just give me so much joy on his podcast. We've already talked about how he sandbags that. <laughs> yeah. That's just ridiculous. Um, do by the way, do you like that guy, uh, Aaron Goldsmith? I really enjoy him. I Gold, think he's des- Gold, yeah, I Goldie, think he's destined for yeah, big things. Goldie might be like the Bob Costas of of this next generation. I I don't think yeah. he's a real human, um, in the sense like he's just like, from all accounts, overwhelmingly nice and really has that voice that's like, man, do you always talk like that? Because that that'd be kind of annoying. But uh, for baseball and for broadcasting purposes, he's he's very very good, uh, and very young for for what he's doing. Um, anyways, third favorite moment. Uh, this is not so much a moment as it is a, I guess, a a pleasant surprise, but watching JP Crawford play defense Mm. was absolutely wonderful because he was always billed as a guy who was a, a, an average defender and somebody who could give you more with the bat. And this year we actually saw kind of the reverse. He was a plus defender and his bat was the thing that struggled. So if his bat can come around and he can maintain what he was doing in the field, you're looking at a cornerstone piece at shortstop for a team that you'd feel comfortable with taking to the playoffs. Yeah, I uh, I had the the JP Crawford play as one of my moments of this season, yeah. um, where he's going, uh, I guess, to his right to make the catch and just uh, it was like a, a G, one of those classic Jeter plays, but um, ran- rangier than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and not not forced, but actually just it was the only way he could possibly get that out. Uh, he did it. Um, on a very, very high percentage or low percentage play. Um, yeah, plays like that or plays close to that are definitely in his wheelhouse. Um, and uh, he's he's an exciting young player. And, and I think one where the, the bat wasn't quite what uh, anyone would, would really desire from a, from like a, I don't know, a uh, like all-star potential um, glimpse. But uh, defensively, he's he's all the way there. Yeah, I mean, I I'm actually just now that we're on baseball savant, I was looking at his um, his baseball savant numbers, and his walk rate is his. He has a really good walk rate. He hits the ball decently hard. Do you know? We can do a really quick. Let's get smarter. Do you see that little thing that says X Woba on people's baseball savant pages? Yes, and then there's X Woba X Bacon, right Yeah, that one. I don't even know what that one. I yeah. think that's just like contact is what the last part of it stands for. But ex-WOBA is basically their expected batting average on when they hit the ball. 
right? Mm -hmm. So like basically how hard do they hit it? What kind of exit velocity? What kind of launch angle and all of that? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at all of the Mariners and Vogelbach is well above average. And let's see what Crawford is. That's such a helpful tool because Crawford doesn't strike out a ton. And if he has a, bet, a little better than average ex-Woba, which he doesn't, his is actually, let's see what his is. He has a 294 where the league average is 318. But you also have to consider the league average is not shortstops. I wish I could just find out what it was for shortstops. But anyway, the whole point of me saying this is I think that he can get to become a uh, average bat, a league average bat at shortstop with plus defense, and that's like a three or four win player right there, and that's a that's a good foundational piece. Yeah, definitely. Um, another top uh, top moment from the season: Ichiro's retirement. Um, as uh, we we profiled a lot early in this season's podcasts, uh, was a pretty cool moment. Just the way it all happened. Um, I liked I liked that that happened. That that didn't really become a distraction lingering onto this this the rest of the season. Uh, Kind of in that same vein, Felix's last start uh, was a good cathartic moment to yeah. kind of put away a lot of the the animosity, I think, from uh, management towards Felix for a long time and then Felix towards management uh, for a time I mean, you know how after I that. I feel about how that whole saga is. Yes. I'm well, not a huge Felix guy, but it was nice nonetheless. And now it's over. Um, yeah. Which, Honestly, the, to me, it was... It was the nicest moment was when he was walking off the mound because it was like, thank God I don't have to be any more pissed at you anymore. Like you can just like I don't have to like feel angry about watching you pitch. It's, you know what I mean? It was it was nice to watch him walk off the mound. It's like when uh, when you leave the dentist and they take that blanket off of you and you're like, oh, I feel. I, feel. I was actually I was thinking about this. It's like the whole Felix Hernandez. Side, did you ever lose a pet when you were younger? Like oh, your yeah. dog run away or anything like oh, that? Oh no, 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 not like lost one. Um, okay, so yeah. I had my dog. My dog ran away once, and he never came back. And it reminded me so much of Felix Hernandez because, like, th- within the first couple hours, you know, there's no doubt in your mind that you're gonna find the dog, right? Like, the dog is gonna come back. And that was like Felix when he first started struggling. It was like, oh, he's gonna be okay. He'll be fine. He's gonna be right back to normal. And then like the dog's gone for like a, a couple days, and you're you know you're still you're still kind of there. You put, still, you put flyers up. Yeah, yeah, but like now you're not as sure, but you're still like pretty confident the dog's coming back. Except the flyer, the flyers are yellow t-shirts and on the on the third baseline. <laughs> right, but you get where I'm going with this analogy, right? Yes. And then a couple weeks goes by, and you still haven't found the dog, and you're like, man, maybe it's time to tell the kids this dog's not coming back. And that's what it was like this whole season with Felix. Like I knew the dog wasn't coming back. But it just felt like, why are we still out there looking for the dog? Like, can we not just, like, stop looking, you know? Yeah, we, we were still talking ourselves into his potential usefulness this season and what he had done yeah. to, 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 to re-sculpt his body and change his approach when, uh, yeah, the cat was out of the bag um, on that for a long time. Um, and unfortunately, the game passed him by uh, well after the Mariners were ready to compete, which is unfortunate. But, uh, but at least his, his retirement or his, his leaving of the Mariners, we'll see what his career looks like. Um, was uh, was somewhat nice at the end of the th- at the end of the time there. Uh, when you're looking through this season and you're just scanning through and thinking about all the things that happened, uh, who slash what are you going to see in there that you have com- would have completely forgotten about uh, if we didn't bring this up again? Okay, I wanted to uh, bring this up with you. Have could you name? I- I'll ask you to name three guys 
in the bullpen who neither started the season with the Mariners or finished the season with the Mariners. So one more, three bullpen guys who neither started the season so, or finished the season with the Mariners. Um, like on the twenty-five man roster. Could you? Do you think you could even do that? Jesse Biddle. Okay. Just because I have that in my notes, uh, is Mike Wright in that same? Yep. Um, yep. Oh, you can get one more. Oh, uh, uh, I'm just thinking of the guy that no, because they finished the season. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it. Taylor Scott. Okay. That Matt even... Carasidi, like you know, all these guys that are just like, who are these people? Like, yeah. And we'll talk about like the bullpen and how it's actually kind of a smart strategy to do that later. But God, was it just weird watching guys who you just didn't even know were on the team and by halfway through the season? Yeah, I had. Uh, that's a good point. I had in my notes here for a, a later section that uh, all of those guys, the Mike Wrights, the Matt Festas, all those just just. They're not innings eaters. They're just innings munchers, uh, and they're just, <laughs> they're just the soldiers in Jerry Depoto's undead army of, of. Yeah, it just almost feels like he's just throwing like a meat shield out there, like go and get like hit and like go and give up two runs but last three innings, you know? Just, yeah, just exactly. go go trudge out there and just get us through this game. Yeah, go give go give Brad Adams something to talk about on on the broadcast. <laughs> Uh, I had uh, Tim Beckham winning AL Player of the Week um, at some point, which is yeah. Remember when he hit two home runs off Chris Sale? Yes, yeah. He was he started out uh, like uh, with his hair on fire, and uh, ultimately it was as we talked about pop for PEDs. Which is funny. I have one. I have one more that I think you're gonna not even remember happened. All right. Remember how dust. Austin Ackley was on the oh, team in spring training. You're right. That is that is very true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that in a while. Um, they they did try and make that a thing, but cut that beforehand, which was which was nice. Uh, we were upset about that, which I think is another thing yeah. to be fun to think about. Like the the meta moment on top of that that was worth talking about at some point. Uh, Jay Bruce's tenure at all as a, as a Mariner is kind of in that same vein of all, all the things we're talking right. about. Um, that and Jay Bruce's tenure when he was hitting like 190, but was leading the AL in home runs at the same time. Uh, those he had a were weird good times. year with the Mariners, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, not even playing every day, but homering, homering, and seemingly once every game that he played in. Uh, those were fun and times. And doing nothing else besides hitting a home run yes. every single. Usually hit. solo bombs. Um, yeah. Who or what? Yeah, this is a a, a a note for probably our generation of um, just the term hags, and it was it was uh, have a, have a great summer usually reserved for people that you didn't really have too much to say for in their yearbook uh, at the end of the year. Who are you just writing hags for? Because it's just like, eh, I'm, I'm writing you off. I'm kind of done with this whole thing. I am writing hags to D Gordon. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I am. So if I never have to watch D Gordon play another game with the Mariners, that'll be one game too many. Huh. I just, what does he bring? Can you answer this question for me? What does D Gordon do for the Mariners at this point like what at all at all is there a single thing he's not young so he's not going to get any better he's 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 expensive he's taking up a position where you have guys like Shed Long and Donnie Walton and other guys you should probably just be giving the time to and he's not going to be a valuable tra- even if he let's say he even has a return to somewhat decent form which I doubt 
is going to happen. He's still not going to be a valuable trade chip going forward. So what is he doing? I would be so happy if the Mariners just non-tendered him this offseason or DFA'd him, I mean. He's uh, he's he's your best bet for, for punching a malcontent behind closed doors in a locker room. That's Well, yeah, that's what the Mariners say is like leadership. But I'm so dubious of this whole, like, what's your manager for then if he can't be like the leader of the team? What do you pay him for? Yeah, but the manager can't punch anybody. Like, I guess. He, but I, I, he, he needs henchmen. You, but in all honesty, in all seriousness, could you answer that question? Like, what does D. Gordon really provide for the Mariners? Uh, no, I cannot. Other than a somewhat bloated contract uh, and uh, speed on the base paths, but that would require hitting the ball hard to uh, get on base. Get on base and to get balls into gaps that you can turn singles into doubles and doubles into triples, but uh, that ain't happening. So one other guy that I have to write the hags for, and I'm kind of sad about this, but Malik Smith was just pretty much Ugh, a big disappointment yeah. this year all around. Yeah. Like his defense worse than advertised. He couldn't hit. I mean, he, he, do you know he actually led the MLB in stolen bases? Yeah, I did know that. Uh, the Mariners made a really good uh, effort via social media to uh, to make sure people knew that in there. Like, hey, cool things happened this year. Uh, stuff yeah, but that's got to feel like the most, like, empty like uh the empty award that you could give somebody like he had a very bad year yeah yeah and i would not be super upset if i didn't have to really watch him play anymore either yes it uh became pretty evident um as that season was going on and jake fraley was doing as well as he was at every level other than the majors really and that was due to injury towards the end uh that uh jake fraley was the big coup in the mike zanino trade not uh not malik smith Speaking of Mike Zanino, I know we texted each other about this, but he's probably not going to get extended a contract next year. I think the Rays are done with him, too. Yes. So, I mean, that that trade is pretty much – honestly, we probably made out with that trade just for getting Jake Fraley in it. Exactly, exactly. Um, my uh, my hags for this year uh, is this Mitch Hanniger season. Um, yeah. I'm willing to write it off as a unfortunate uh, series of calamities. Um <laughs> series of unfortunate I saw events. your note in there, and I thought that was very astute, actually, what you said. Like, his batting average on balls of play looks like he was getting really unlucky this year, right? Yeah, so so his WRC Plus this season, just above 100 at 106. Uh, the lowest of his three Mariner seasons, including, uh, obviously, last year was his kind of breakout season. Goes way under that. Uh, the aforementioned gonad issue, uh, still 28 years old, so right in this kind of... Um, range of, of ages that the Mariners want players to be in where they're kind of cresting into the next couple of years. Uh, and the BABIP, um, basically, you know, how, how often are the, uh, the balls that you are hitting finding the ground, um, or finding the outfield, I should say for, for base hits, uh, from mid three thirties, uh, in the last two years in his M's, M's tenure, um, going down to two fifty seven last year. So, uh, just kind of feels like a lot of un, lucky things uh happen it really did feel like an unlucky year for him like i would bet if i was a betting man i'd say there's more than a 75 to 80 percent chance he's back next year as the mitch hanniger of old the one that we enjoy mm. but even then i still kind of take issue with not trading him because now you've gone two years later and his contract which was amazing before because he had four years of control on it left now has two years of control and you don't really have him as like a top tier trade chip anymore. Not saying that I even think they should trade him at this point, mm. because I think th- they'd probably just be better off riding with Mitch in right field every day and trying to get their 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 window in line with his 
you know, the end, the tail end of his peak rather than try and trade him because there's really not as much value as there should be for him at this point. Yeah, it does also feel like they, they made uh, Mitch Handiger or he, he made himself into a kind of a different type of player um, this season. His launch angle uh, from 2018 was 12.7, goes up to 18.7, so higher than Vogelbach's uh, for this year. Uh, and then his strikeout percentage goes up from 20, 21.7 to 28.6. Um, so that's concerning. That's the concerning portion right there is that he was striking out quite a bit um, at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So so we'll see with next year. But I'm, I'm willing to, to bet that um, we may have seen his best season as a Mariner, but this season was was a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, yeah. do, do you feel I'm the same? I'm also willing to bet that we saw his worst season as a Mariner, which was this year. There you go. Duh. Do you feel the same way about Yusei Kikuchi that we can kind of just write the season off? Or are you concerned? No, I'm concerned about him. I am concerned about him. He, uh, so there is a, did you, here's another stat for you. You know, you say Kikuchi is the all time and every single pitcher who has ever pitched in the major leagues. He is the number one rookie in terms of giving up home runs. <laughs> Again, these are, these are nice things to add to his narrative. Uh... Yeah. And you know, a lot of people discuss how much, control a pitcher has over giving up home runs like the big bugaboo on Justin Verlander is he gives up a ton of home runs other than that he's quite literally like a perfect pitcher but you know a lot of analytics guys say a pitcher can't really control that and usually those numbers tend to regress so like home run suppression really isn't that much of a skill as it is more of like a I don't want to say luck driven thing but it's other factors mm-hmm. but it's super concerning that uh, you say just really seems to get hit hard by uh, if you look at the his so you can look at his batting average against his ex woba against and he is way 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 higher than uh, a league average pitcher so he was getting hit he was getting hit hard so I'm not sure what adjustments they need to make but they need to do something to 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 rein him back in yeah the the verdict on him this year was he just really could not get people out uh, with. Uh, with his 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 like his best stuff, um, his strikeout percentage sixteen point one uh, is pretty low for. for That's a, very low. Yeah, yeah. So so just how is he going to get guys out if he's not overpowering with with uh, with velocity and he uh, doesn't really ha- his his breaking stuff just wasn't quite um, wasn't quite hitting and and <laughs> it was getting returned over his head quite hard throughout this so season. He is below average to poor in every single metric that there is exit velocity x woba x slugging his fastball spin his like you alluded to his k percentage his hard hit percentage all of that stuff is below average for so i don't know how he can turn all that and just flip the switch but it's concerned yeah um and i know that the mariners had structured his contract in a way to kind of allow for this to uh to not completely break them if if he's a he's a complete bust mm-hmm. Um, which was smart given the the lack of success from the the first year. Um, I forget what it was. Do you remember? It was it was something like a two and two, something like that. Yeah, they have like the option, I think, to like give them a long term extension, right? After yeah. like two more years. Yeah. Right, right. So the the hero that we all thought we were getting in Yusei Kikuchi hasn't quite materialized, but uh, for all intents and purposes, a guy who will be on this roster, probably in this rotation to start off. Uh, next year with the hope that mm-hmm. uh, a lot has changed. Uh, but we'll see. I had this bullpen as a Hags thing as well, just from all the, the names that we had mentioned of just 
just guys. Uh, the Mariners, I think, led uh, or set a record for the number of, of players used and, and pitchers used, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with this season. Um, and I, from a strategy perspective, I mean, what's the difference between a 65 win team and a, and a 75 win team? And if if that if that means that you can be really cheap in the bullpen and don't have to really invest in that, then uh, I'm kind of okay with with uh, me too. With I totally. I'm totally okay with the way Depoto structured this bullpen, and not only how bad they were, but how many there were, because you do find guys like uh, Austin Adams and Brandon Brennan, guys right. who have been like cast aside by other teams. But if you just keep cycling through guys, eventually it's just—I mean, it's almost like throwing spaghetti at the wall, and one little noodle will stick up, and you'll be like, "Okay, I can eat that." Well, you know what I mean? It's like if you. If you just put enough people out there, oh, we just we just found the, uh, the the secret sauce at Carmine's. It's just <laughs> <laughs> throw shit against the wall. But you know what I mean. Somebody's gonna somebody is going to uh, do better than your expectations. Right, right. I mean, you want to have if you're if you're you know casting for a role um, from an efficiency perspective. Uh, I guess if you know that you have. 162 games or however many hours it would take to cast for a role, uh, you'd want to cycle as many people through there as possible just to get as many good looks as someone who could, who could fill the role that you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, and we'll talk about a lot of the other successes or, um, kind of, I, I guess nice, nice, um, nice touches that DePoto's GM ship had this year, uh, a little bit later. Um, who are you going to write? Oh my God. We should totally hang out this summer. Um, I'm gonna miss you in the yearbook, but you actually know, as if as this happened in every person's yearbook, that that's just not gonna happen. This person will not contact you. You won't see them until September, and uh, it's just it's it's, it's cool. You, you know, just don't don't be fake about it. Basically, saying who will definitely not be on this roster next season. I think there's only one answer here. Uh, is it Domingo? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Showmingo. Who are you gonna say? Oh, that that was yeah, that was mine. But like you hear, okay, Jerry Depoto's like a pretty optimistic guy, right? You would say. Uh yeah, glass glass half full. When he says, "I don't, I'm not sure how Domingo Santana fits into the plans of this the team going forward," that could not be more clear to me that he's just basically <laughs> saying Domingo Santana will not be on this team next year. Yeah. Um, he was, he was a, a bright spot at the beginning of the season before uh, kind of the margins really show up uh, in the, the, the defects in his game. Um, we've talked about this before, but I've just never seen someone so disinterested in defense as, uh, as we saw, saw with Domingo throughout this yeah, year. It's really depressing how bad he was like, and then I remember we talked about this a little bit earlier, but when I got in that little Twitter fight with Shannon Dreyer, and she was like, well, he's been a lot better in right field. I, I mean, I would still argue with her about this. Like, he really was actually not even any better in right field. He was pretty much the same. So, like, moving him over there didn't do anything. Yeah. So he's just a bad outfielder, and you really hurt your value when you can't play the defensive position you're supposed to play. Yeah, and it's not like, I mean, I guess that there's a there's a certain logic there about what, what angles a guy is most comfortable taking and throwing from certain positions and all that. Um, but when a guy literally looks like he could care less about um, how quickly he gets this ball after it goes over his head. That doesn't really translate um, if he's if he's 300 steps away from, from where he was before. Um, so sp- speaking of Domingo Santana, um, I heard a really good uh, comparison 
uh, for Kyle Lewis. And that would be if he could have like this Domingo Santana bat because he Domingo Santana is a guy who hit for a lot of power, but also struck out a lot. If you remember, he led in the first half of the season. He led the major leagues in strikeouts, but he was still such a positive because he took a bunch of walks and he hit for a bunch of power. If you can supplement that with Kyle Lewis's defense, I think you have a really good player there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think people are hoping Kyle Lewis becomes. Somebody who, yeah, maybe he strikes out a lot, but he walks a lot and he hits for good power. But then he has the defense on top of what Domingo Santana lacked. Because Santana's not a valuable player if he can't play defense. I'll take that. And also a, a similar athlete, just in terms of how they kind of uh, look in the box. Both big big dudes um, with wheels. um and, and kind of rangy athletes. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty good pre- comparison. And there's a lot to like about Domingo Santana. And this is kind of the, the uh, <laughs> just the, um, I don't know, the, the person who doesn't understand their, their own value in the, the dating market kind of thing where, um, like, Domingo Santana and players like Jose Guillen in their one season for the Mariners just feel like they're amazing players just because they're, they're barely competent at, at hitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a guy that just shows up and hits 280 and gets 25 home runs, you're like, oh my god, this we found ourselves, yeah, we found we found Stan Musial here, but uh, uh, but yeah, Jose Guillen, that was a good comparison. That feels a lot like the season Domingo Santana just had. Just an another another baseball mercenary would be Jose Guillen. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to talk to you about the concept of baseball mercenary really quick. Do you know if it's possible? I don't. I, this is just another one of my crazy ideas. You know how. Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel signed like half season contracts this year because they basically held out for half the year. Yes. Is it possible to sign a one game contract if you're a pitcher and just be like, pay me $500,000 or a million dollars to pitch this one game for you. Isn't that that kind of what Roger Clemens was doing there for a while? Was he, is it possible (laughs) to do that? Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, just his kind of like him in the minor leagues before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that seems, seems doable. Um, so you could just pitch for like one game for one team and then the next game for another team. I feel like Trevor Bauer is going to try and do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be some weird, weird, uh, outcomes. In the next, uh, collective bargaining agreement. That might be one of them. Um, who are you saving a full page for? Just the, the obnoxious, like, I called pers- the police again, by the way, <laughs> God, uh, the, the, uh, the full page ad that, you know, someone would take your yearbook and be like, I'm going to write so much, you know, I have just so many things to say. And then you actually read it and it's just like blabbering um, just because they, they, they booked themselves a full page and didn't understand that that actually is like 400 <laughs> words. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know those people. Yeah. So uh, who are you saving a full page for um, in this Mariners yearbook? Now, what does that mean in the context of baseball again? This, this would mean like, who, who do you have a lot to say about in the, like the thank you, the like I really appreciate you way uh even if that that uh output might just be like you were a through and player thank you Marco Gonzalez um type way you know who it's gonna be for me I don't know I don't know who yours is gonna be it's definitely not gonna be this guy so I'd like to hear your answer too but I really appreciated the year that Kyle Seeger just put together I almost put that his his second half was uh was really nice I mean he 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 is on a team hot okay, Kyle Seeger Kyle by Seeger the way. is like Oh, what's that? Hot Kyle Seager, by the way. Yes, hot Kyle Seager now. But he's he's past 30 years old. He's on a team that just committed to being bad for at least the next two years. It would have been so easy. And then he just hurt. He broke his hand on top of it before the season started. It would have been so easy for Kyle Seager to just be like, you know what? I have $100 million in the bank. This team sucks. I don't care. 
whatever. I'm going to continue doing what I did, but what I'm going to do. But he reshaped his body. He reshaped his swing. He committed to a new approach because he realized what he was doing wasn't working. And he put together a second half of the season that was up there with the elite third baseman in the game, which, God, if he could do that over the course of a full season next year, that would be that would be something else. Yeah, I mean, uh, his best WOBA this year since uh, 2017. So, I guess... <laughs> Or since 2016, but, so I mean, yeah, re- and, re- returning and to form a little bit. 2017 was a good year for Kyle. So mm-hmm. 2018 was a bad year, but 2017, 2016, those were really good years for him. Yeah, sticking with it, understanding that there are def- you know holes in his game, and that this this manage trusting that this management zone or management team has uh, has answers that can help him become a, a better and more useful player and extend his career, and and they, he bought into it. So I mean, that's that is the type of thing that you uh, that you want to see um, for just for, just from a uh, organizational uh, continuity perspective of uh, an old player trusting um, that this this management regime can help them uh, and then actually seeing that pay off because that'll like pay- almost like you wish that Felix would have <laughs> exactly that'll pay dividends yeah. I think with uh, with potential free agents in the future um, when you know things like that are, are taken into consideration of, of guys signing here because they think they, they can be made better um, and extend their well. careers or whatever exactly uh, I'm saving a full page uh, for Marco Gonzalez uh, one of those full probably full pages one of them thanking him for, for being on my podcast uh, before the season started yeah, that was really cool. Uh, it was cool. Uh, he never missed a start, uh, which is kind of crazy to think that even him just being like, ah, "Fuck this, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to pitch today." Like, never happened not throughout to mention, this year. He was a Tommy John guy. Yeah, right. So, so durability being part of the concerns. And remember on your podcast, what he said was the his number one goal for the year: staying healthy. Yeah, so staying healthy, him. being consistent. Um, yeah. And another guy that was kind of abrasive to analytics, but but uh, it worked out for him in, at least in a little bit. Little sense this year. Um, still 27 years old, so younger than Hanniger. Definitely a part of this team's future, I would think. Uh, threw 700 more pitches this season than he did last season, so really upped his his volume um, and and made it out unscathed from a health perspective. So um, you know, we're watching this uh, we're watching this uh, uh, game, this St. Louis uh, and Washington game. You know who is not on St. Louis's postseason roster? Tyler O. Yeah, so I mean that trade is looking like it's working out too. Yeah, so Depoto, he's had some misses. I'm not gonna lie, but by and large, a lot of these trades are starting to look pretty good. And then just when you say that, then uh, then Cattell Marte has like an All Star season for, for the Diamondbacks. I was gonna say, why was there so much more? Um, why was there so much more consternation amongst Mariners fans when Chris Taylor got really good, but he, there was like almost nobody who was like, oh, Cattell Marte's amazing now. Same old Mariners. When Cattell Marte basically had like an MVP year, he had like the quietest, really good year I've seen in a long time. Yeah, uh, the LA market versus the Phoenix market would be the answer yeah. to that question. Um, I'm saving another page here for Jerry Depoto for uh, doing what ultimately, as was bore out by the success of of the Oakland A's again, the Cleveland Indians, um, the uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, just the amount of of good teams. Um, that were still remaining in the AL as the Mariners are kind of taking inventory about what they should do um, after last season, doing the right thing by by um, bottoming out a little bit, uh, offloading aging, expensive talent to create uh, this, you know, seemingly and doing it a year early, right? Yes, year early versus two year late is always better. Um, creating this semi-legitimate window that we haven't seen in a long time, where we can say that this is top tier talent. This will be here by a certain point. Um, 
changed his own job description from the one he took when he came to this roster and, and Nelson Cruz is here and Robinson Cano is here, Felix, Seeger, all those guys um, where you have you know aging guys who are really good players um, changing the job description to saying you're now in a development role um, and you're trying to basically, you know, for lack of a better word, tank to um, to create a different thing. Changing his job description and I think doing an objectively good job uh, at that whole thing. Yeah, that's got to be really hard too because he when he signed on as the GM of the Mariners here, he would he had Nelson Cruz, Robinson Cano, you know, Mike Zanino, Kyle Seager, all these guys, and his job, the reason he got hired, was to just hey look, we have this core that you know for better or worse, Jack Zarenzik left us like a pretty solid core, and I, what we want you to do is build around the edges and supplement this core and get them to the postseason. That's why he was hired. So for him to yeah, like you said, change his job description and do it, you know, in a way that I think a lot of us are happy with. That was no small feat. Yeah, definitely. And and one that we'll we'll have to see, but I mean, it just hasn't felt like this since you and I have been, you know, sentient Mariner fans where we can kind of think about the the big picture yeah. with this. There's hope on the horizon. Yeah, and it's not just like a Carlos Truenfell um is pretty good. He might be good. There's it's a like, name. Yeah, exactly. It's like, nope, this is a this is what a farm system looks like. Um, where there's there's an entire team on Double A that that um, are potential potential major league guys in a few years here. Uh, oh, really? Another one here is the Omar Narvaez Tom Murphy catching combo. Uh, those guys were awesome this year, offensively especially. Uh, but Tom Murphy ends up with more runs saved due to extra strikes than Mike Zanino did this year. Uh, five for Tom Murphy versus negative one for Mike Z. And we basically picked Tom Murphy up off the scrap heap. So. Every successful rebuild has to have a guy like Tom Murphy who comes out of nowhere or a guy like Austin Nola who can supplement like the that fringe of your squad where you just weren't expecting that contribution that you got from them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have to get guys like that who are diamonds in the rough. Right. I mean, Chris Taylor is kind of the, the perfect example of a player like that where – uh, not not a super talented guy who would leap off the page from a stats perspective, but uh, but a guy who ultimately brings you value. So if you couldn't, I bet you already know the answer to this, but just intuitively, if I asked you, who do you think put up more cumulative war this year, um, Omar Narvaez or Tom Murphy, who would you have said if it was just your, going by your gut? Uh, I think knowing Narvaez's uh, deficiencies as a defensive catcher, um, and Murphy's relative strengths in that category and the, the offensive numbers being relatively equal, I'd probably guess Tommy Murph on that yeah, one. Yeah, totally. He did. But, like, I bet you if most you ask most Mariners fans that, it, they'd feel like Omar Narvaez was the answer to that, right? He just feels like he was a bigger part of the team almost. But Murphy just quietly put up numbers. Yeah, I mean, uh, Omar Narvaez has 200 more plate appearances than, than Murphy and, and still uh, didn't lead to as, as much of a, of a long turnout. But I would I would bet that only one of those players is a Mariner next year. Am I right? Yeah, I would. I got to assume. And I'm going to go ahead and guess it's going to be Tom Murphy. Yeah. Um, however, the, the argument that we made at the beginning of this, or that you were pointing out, the defensive catcher value... Um, a guy like Murphy to a contending team could make a lot of sense. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, the the type of team yeah. that picks up Omar Narvaez is is the type of team that is uh, <laughs> that is uh, going to be struggling for a while. I think just because their priorities are a little bit a little bit backwards. And I'll tell, but I'll tell you what, I guarantee if the Mariners trade 
Omar Narvaez, they're going to get a lot more back than Alex Colomay, which is going so that's and that's you know that's exactly what you want to do in a trade buy low sell high right yeah exactly uh yeah flip flip this house flip this asset um is the uh is the depoto way 